You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. Listen, today we have a special guest, Pastor John Perminsky. He's from Restore Church in Ionia, Michigan. And this year, this fall, they are turning 25 years old. Not, not him, but the church, Okay. And they have been in faithful ministry for 25 years. Um, I've known Pastor John for, for quite some time. And uh, he's part of the Radiant Network. He's a great friend of Pastor Lee Cummings. And I remember when we were getting ready to launch Radiant Church, um, we were at, at a mutual event. And Pastor John said, hey, he says, whatever you need, man, um, I'm in your corner. You can call me anytime you want, any time. And I know when he said that, I was like, man, he... He means it. He's a man of his word, and I'm grateful for his friendship. I'm grateful for the example that he offers to my wife and I in the ministry, and I'm just grateful for him as a friend. And would you help me to welcome Pastor John Perminsky? Hey, man, do you guys know how blessed you are? Um, Serious. Serious. I was telling your pastor that we were in a middle school auditorium for almost six years when we started our church. We began with 15 people in a house. We moved to a middle school auditorium. I said, you guys having this this early? This is not fair. This is, it's not fair at all. You are blessed. God is on this and in this. And I would encourage you... Um, if anyone speaks negatively about this church, that you, would, that you would step up. I've heard it said this way. I've heard it said that when you hear things, picture yourself having a bucket of water and a bucket of gas. Throw water on it. Throw water on it. Nobody's perfect and nobody's claiming to be, and your pastor and Carrie are not claiming to be perfect, but they are sent by God here. And because they're sent by God here, then honor this house and honor what God's doing here. And if there are offenses or if there are bickerings and there are complainings, man, work it out. Work it out. Years ago, the Lord showed me that in the last days, the church would be a revolving door. The offended would leave and the hungry would come. Don't stay offended, whatever you do. Amen? Is that all right if I just say that? And your pastor's so eloquent, I would have been so much more harsh about the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade. I, I am unashamedly pro-life. If Mickey Mouse was the only pro-life candidate, he would get my vote. Um, and I have no problem stating that. Um, I value life that much, and uh, I pray that you will too. So open your Bibles and to John chapter 7. Can you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning, my pastor? would have a stand in honor of God's Word. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. I'll dip into the New Living, um, which I found to be a wonderful translation. John 7, 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, thank you that you have given us your 
Holy Spirit. Jesus, you even said it's to our advantage that you go away. Because if you don't go away, the Spirit can't come, and we're so glad that the Holy Spirit has come. We're so grateful that the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind. And Father, we believe that he'd still be moving as a mighty rushing wind if we could all be in one accord and in one place. And so God, bring unity to your body so that your spirit can flow. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have your way in this house. In Jesus' name we ask, we pray. Everybody said amen, amen. You could be seated. It's just an honor to be here. I, I just consider it a privilege when anyone trusts me with their, with their pulpit. And I, I like to say this whenever I'm away in Ionia. We like ice cream. We just don't like soft serve. So can you allow me to speak directly? And don't worry, I'll be gone this afternoon. But can you allow me to just speak directly and, and maybe sometimes frankly and pointedly? Is that all right if I do that and if you hear my heart? Okay. Notice the connection here of the Holy Spirit with rivers of, of living water. Um, your, the version you might have or you might be referencing on your digital device might even say out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. Really one and the same. The ESV is the more accurate rendering here. Heart would be appropriate. But I want you to see that this flow comes from the heart of a believer. That there is a flow that should be issuing from the heart of the believer when the Holy Spirit's been given. My pastor used to say that we minister not out of our cup, but out of the overflow of our saucer. So there should be an overflow. There should be currents flowing out from us and onto others. And I want you to know that it is that nothing that God has given us is ever meant for us to hoard, including our very lives. We're to lay them down. No greater love, right? That nothing has ever been meant to, to hoard. And so I want to challenge every hoarder in the room. I want, to, I want to challenge every selfish saint in the room to give your life away. To give your life away. To give your life away. Is it just about us going to heaven? Is it just about our, our spouses and our children and our, our, our spouse's children and children? going? Is that, what, is that the end all be all? Or does God have more for us? And if there is supposed to be of a flow or a current that's issuing from us, are we the ones that determine where that and who that flows onto? I just want to challenge these things today. Notice the words flow and rivers and living. Does this seem like something old or stagnant to you? Or does it seem current and fresh? Current and fresh. Jesus was, Jesus references even when he was talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He he spoke of living water. If you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for this water. And so I believe that there is a current bringing life that's supposed to be issuing from the heart of every believer. If we're healthy, if we're well, if we're not hurting, if we're, not, if we're offended and we're hurting, we could care less about anybody else. And we might have a, a burn our saddle that, you know, that we're going to be used by God to, to bring the church, you know, under subjection and you know, and, or whatever, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But notice that all of this is associated with the Holy Spirit. So the question that you might want to ask is, well, how does this happen? How does the Holy Spirit flow through us and onto others? How is this supposed to, 
take place? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that. So go to 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to show you both Old and New Testament today. Because how many of you know that when it's healthy and when it's relevant and when it's biblically applicable for us today, you'll find it old, new, you'll find it, you'll, you'll find it, shoot, you'll find it in maps at the end of your Bible if it's, if it's meant for us today. So look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 31. We'll start there. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14 a lot. It's just a great, great chapter. I encourage you to reread it. It says, For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Notice that there is both a learning element and there is an, encourage, an encouragement element to, or an encouraging element to, to prophecy. To prophecy. And, and I believe when prophecy is done right, it's only encouraging. It's nothing but encouraging. And I'll reinforce this with, with Scripture today. Look at verse 3 of chapter 14. This is probably the, the, the most used verse regarding prophecy. It says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, or your version might say edification, exhortation, and, and comfort. Notice the word upbuilding. It means to edify. It's also used in Jude chapter 20 where it says, you know, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, that building up is the same word here. It means to build up like you'd build a building. The word edify or edification means to build up like you'd build up a building. So there's this building component to prophecy. There's this encouragement component to prophecy. There's even a comfort element or a consolation element. And that word comfort is a unique word, and it's lost a lot of meaning. And I didn't mention this in the first service, but it's lost a lot of meaning in modern-day English because it comes from a root that means to fortify. Even the word comfort means to build up. It means to encourage. It means to fortify. Everything about prophecy is for building up and encouraging. That word encouragement is also, is also exhortation, so edification, exhortation, or encouragement, and comfort or consolation. That word exhortation, you'll see it used out of all the places that you wouldn't think it would be used. It's used in Hebrews 10.25. And Hebrews 10.25 is probably a scripture that pastors beat to death, encouraging people to attend church. But notice the reason that we're to attend. We're to attend so that we can be exhorted all the more or so much the more as we see the day, capital D, Jesus' return approaching. You come to church to be encouraged. And I love prophecy because it's encouraging. It builds up. It never tears down. And you're going to see that in a moment when I step out and I begin to call some of you out of the congregation, which is just crazy for me because I'm just a Pollock from the west side of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And... and Years ago, I would see myself when I was praying, just my time alone with the Lord, I'd see myself walking into congregations and pulling people out of the crowd. And it was always in a church setting. And I would always see it. And I thought, man, that's just crazy. That's arrogant that I would see myself being used by, like that by God. And then when it began to happen, God reminded me, I showed you this before it even happened. I remember hearing Jimmy Evans years ago saying, when you have a closed vision, your mind's eye, because... Open visions before your mind's eye are very, very rare. I've had one 
in my life, and I've been serving the Lord for 38 years, and I had it when God called me into the ministry. I was at the, the Ford Fieldhouse basement um, at Grand Rapids Community College. It was back then. It was called Junior College, and I had a job. I was checking IDs, and I got a cup of coffee, put my Bible down, and boom, I had an open vision, and God called me into the ministry. More often than not, um, you get a closed vision and you see in your mind's eye. And I remember Jimmy Evans saying that when you have a vision and you see yourself behind yourself. So I would see myself preaching and I would see myself calling people out of, out of their seats in congregations. Jimmy Evans said this. He said, you were looking through God's eyes. God's showing you how he sees you. And I never forgot that. Maybe some of you need to log that because that's happened to you. So let me start off by saying... Prophecy is not weird. People are. And I can't do anything about people, but I can defend God. So, so let's just establish some things. The Holy Spirit's not weird. God's not weird. No matter how weird some of the people that claim to be used by him are, God is not. And I just want to apologize for all the weird stuff that you have seen. I've seen a lot of weird stuff too. And I've wondered, why would they let that go down in a church? Why isn't somebody stepping up? Why aren't they jumping on him? You know, why? I'd, so let's just establish something. Prophecy is never weird. It's never flaky. Um, I, I've said in our church, I had people get offended at this, Pastor Mark. I don't know why. But I said, we believe in prophecy, but we don't believe in granola prophecy. No fruits, flakes, or nuts. <laughs> okay. Um, and somebody got offended, like I was calling them out and calling them a flake or a nut. And, I'm, and I said, I was speaking that to the entire, you know, I wasn't singling you out. It's amazing what people get offended at. And I just always ask, if you're going to get offended, give me a fair shot at this. Let me offend you for real. Um, don't, don't get offended over something dumb like that. Um, so let me earn it. Um, so here's my advice to you is you're going to step out, and I'm going to encourage you today to do that. My advice to you is the less weird you are, the more God can use you. Well, Pastor John, I can't help it. I just get like this when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Yeah, I got a scripture for that. And I believe the scripture is best used or best seen in the, the New Living Translation, of which I'm a fan. I'll periodically preach from the New Living. I really like it. It's very clear. It's very clear. And I know it's more of a thought-by-thought translation, but it, it's really, really clear. And even in my studies, I'll find the New Living gets referenced. Um, Rick Renner said that he found it to be a reliable translation, so who am I to argue with Rick Renner? Um, so people who are used prophetically, they should be gracious and humble. And 1 Corinthians 14, 32 in the New Living says, remember that, remember that people who, are, who prophesy are in control of their spirits and they can take turns. It's the Bible. So for those of you that say, you know, Pastor John, when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, I just can't. You scare people. They don't know what's happening to you. They might think you're having the big one or something. They have no idea what's happening to you. And so as you're shaking and you're frothing at the mouth and you're praying in tongues as loud as can be, not everybody understands that. And so here's my challenge. What's more important, you or the message that God has given you? I like to say at our church, you're just another coffee cup that God fills and spills. Nothing special about us, okay? The message is what has to get across. The message has got to be, I'm just a carrier of a message. 
And so in order to see that that safely arrives at its destination, please don't be weird. And you can control yourself. You can control yourself. I had a gal that came to me, and there's so many stories I can, I can share. This is just one of the better ones. When anybody gets a word in our church, they'll come up to the front and say, hey, pastor, or, you know, to my wife, Lisa, who's preaching for me this morning, God bless her, and uh, um, the, I think I have a word. Well, this gal came to me and said, pastor, I believe I have a word, and I said, oh, oh, cool, you know, what is it? And she goes, well, I don't know yet. I'm just going to get up there in front of everybody, and I'm going to start worshiping, and then I believe the word will come. And I said, okay. I said, why don't you go back to your seat and worship there, and then when the word comes, come back to me. Sound like a plan. Oh, well, I'm thinking, what sense would it, would it make for you to just get up there and start to just worship in front of everybody? Not everybody's going to understand that. They're going to wonder, why is Pastor John letting this person do this? And so don't be weird. Don't be weird. And let me just say this. I think the way that we experience God, you know, maybe you stand there and you've got tears rolling down your cheeks as you're experiencing God. Maybe, maybe you have been shaken at times. Maybe, maybe you've flat out been, been, been slain in the Spirit and you were out on the... I think the way that you experience God isn't always the same way that you deliver a message from God. Okay? I'm doing my best not to be weird up here because I want you to get the message this morning. And so you do likewise. And don't be freaking people out. And, and I'm not, no one's denying that you could be prophetically gifted. They're just trying to say in a very nice way, you're, you're weird. And, and don't be weird anymore um, so that you can be used and reach more people. Amen? So hopefully, hear my heart, I can say things that your pastor can't. So let's talk about prophets and prophecy because I believe there's a lot of misunderstanding here. And I'll draw your attention to Ephesians 4, 11, where it says that Jesus gave some. So in the Bible, there are three lists of gifts that are mentioned. There is 1 Corinthians 12, when it speaks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's Romans chapter 12, I believe it's verses 6 through 8, where it speaks about the motivational gifts that are set in the heart by the Father. In fact, if you do a gift testing here at the church, it's probably based on those seven motivational gifts. And so the, the Holy Spirit's gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, the, mani the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit, the motivational gifts of the Father in Hebrew or in Romans 12, and here in Ephesians 4, we have the ministerial gifts given by Jesus. So you see the Trinity in all three 21 gifts, you know, you, you, in all three lists, you see the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 4, it says that Jesus gave some, not all, some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And they're likened to the fingers on the hand. The prophet is the index finger. He points things out. The evangelist is the middle finger. He stands out from among the rest. The pastor's a ring finger. He's married to the church. Pastor Marco, you are married to the church. The, the pinky is, uh, represents the, the teacher because it brings balance. You are blessed to have a teaching pastor here at Radiant Church. And the apostle is the thumb because he touches all of them. But notice it says that Jesus gave some, not all. 
But we just read in 1 Corinthians 14 that you all may prophesy. One is a gift given, the other is an office given. And the office isn't given to everyone. It's only given to some, but the gift can be given to all. You all may prophesy. You all may prophesy, and we'll look at this again in, in a moment. So not everyone who prophesies is a prophet any more than anyone who evangelizes is an evangelist. Or anyone that offers a teaching is necessarily a teacher in the body, or anyone who's pastoral is necessarily a pastor. Or anyone who sees structure like Pastor Lee, he just sees that stuff. I'll call him up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's in your head. How do you sleep at night? He just, he sees structure and organization and all that stuff. He sees it. He's, he's a God-given apostle. That's why so many churches are under his care now. Not everybody who sees structure is necessarily an apostle. So just because you prophesy doesn't make you a prophet. And if you were a prophet, then you would be a part of the fivefold ministry equipping somewhere, probably in full-time ministry somewhere. I just want to do away with the whole notion that prophets are people that just roam from church to church. I've had people come up to me and say, I'm a prophet, wife's prophetess, and we don't know how long we're going to be here, but we want to be a blessing. And I'm thinking, well, how can I use you if you don't know how long you're staying? You know, are you going to start something and going to bail on me? You know, and then who's going to take it after you leave? And so... Um, I, they're, they're not nomads roaming from church to church, you know, um, you know, with a, with a Bible on their back, wanted, dead or alive, whatever you want to sing, you know, uh, it, that is not what a prophet is. And I'm going to show you Old and New Testament that will argue against that. Um, both Old and New Testament show prophets and prophecy were community oriented. They were supportive and they were accountable. Second Corinthians chapter, or Second Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 3, 5, 7, and 15. You'll see sons of the prophets mentioned. Sons of the prophets. This is Old Testament. So there was some kind of school. There was some kind of prophetic community. And I don't know about you and what you think like when you read Scripture, but whenever I see sons, I immediately think, well, then there's got to be fathers. If there were sons of the prophets, well, who were the fathers? So there was a connected community. We know from 1 Kings 18 that Obadiah hid like 100 prophets from Jezebel at one point. So there was a large group of, of prophets, and they were in some kind of school. They were in some kind of mentorship program, and they were mentored by what must have been prophetic fathers. And so notice the community there. They're, they just weren't, you know, often doing their own thing. And I want to show you maybe some obscure scriptures that you've never heard before. Go to Ezra. And before you ever get to the book of Job, you're going to find Ezra. Esther, Nehemiah. Go to Ezra chapter 5. This is Old Testament. Old Testament. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Man, it doesn't seem like lone rangers to me. It doesn't seem like guys that are out just there slinging the word of the Lord without any concern about 
the body, the community of believers there, go to chapter 6. Let me show you this in verse 14. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the, of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. Notice how the prophesying came alongside of the builders and they prospered because of their prophesying. Notice how it built up. Notice how it encouraged. Notice how it supported Old Testament. Old Testament. And repeatedly, going back to 1 Corinthians 14, we repeatedly see the heart of, of prophecy. Let me draw your attention in verses 3 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 14. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. We read that. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Prophecy builds the church up, doesn't tear it down. Doesn't tear it down. Prophesy, prophecy is encouraging, builds up, builds up comforts, speaks life into, doesn't shred, doesn't tear down, doesn't, you know, well, I'm a prophet, and I see the church, you know, it's going to crumble, and I see, and I've had people prophesy against our church, and then next thing you know, we're in a building program, and we're building, we're building a building. I'm thinking, you guys, you know, what makes you think that you can come and just speak negatively about any church? And why would God call someone to do that? You know, I mean, you're, you're literally ripping on the institution that Jesus is the head of. What, what do you, what, do you want to touch that? Do you want to mess with that? You want to be responsible for that? Good gravy. In fact, my Bible says in Ephesians, it says that God's glory will be seen in the church. And you're going to speak against it? I'm not saying the church does everything right. I'm not saying that we're always the brightest bulbs in the pack. But, I mean, this is God's church, and it's not ours. And unless he builds the house, we're laboring in vain anyway. And so repeatedly, we see that it's for building up. Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians. Keeping in mind that this all began, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14. And I, I love um, the NLT. It says, let love be your highest goal. Look at verse 12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Look at verse 31. We read it already. Let's read it again. It's worth repeating. For you can all prophesy one by one, and that's not the only place that it, it says that. Um, the, the Bible also says that in 24, but if all prophesy, so it must be possible for everyone to prophesy if it says it twice in there. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Prophecy encourages. There's a learning curve to prophecy. We can grow in it. Aren't we to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3, 18? So it is all about growth, and you can grow in, in the prophetic. You can grow in it. So what is healthy prophecy? So what is healthy prophecy? Healthy prophetic people look for a church to attend, not a throne to ascend. So they're not coming saying, look, I'm a prophet, and it's good that I'm here. 
and, and you need to know that I'm a prophet. And so just say, no, 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 pastor, how can I serve? And let that prophetic gifting be noticed later. Don't, don't, you don't have to tell anybody if that's what you are. It'll be seen. It'll be known, pastor, if you don't mind, I've got a word. Yeah, what is it? Oh, man, that sounds encouraging. Healthy, prophetic people focus on others and not self. If you're thinking about yourself, it's very, very difficult to be used by God for somebody else. Did you ever notice how pride, how anger, how even fear all revolve around you? And if you're the devil, what are you going to throw at somebody? You're going to find out where their weakness is, and you're going to hit them with the fear. You're going to hit them with the anger. You're going to hit them with the pride so that they won't be used by God. And you can't be used by God if you're not going to be focusing on anyone else. You're, you, you, you're not even going to be able to hear what God has for somebody else because it's all about you, and it's the injustice, and, and it's the church has got it wrong. And Well, how can God use you if that's your rallying cry? And why would any pastor in his right mind mic you up and put you in front of a congregation if that's your heart? Healthy prophetic people are submitted. They're not prideful and easily offended. Healthy biblical prophecy screams love, edification, community, and accountability. So let me just state some myths about prophets and prophecy according to the word. First of all, no one has the gift of prophecy. It's the Holy Spirit's gift. It's not yours. So if you've taken it, give it back. I don't know how you got it anyway. But it's, no one has the gift of prophecy. You're used in the gift of prophecy. It's not yours. I let my sons use my car, but it's not theirs. And based on how they treat it, we'll determine if they ever get to use it again. So could I say the same about the Holy Spirit's gifts? How are you treating what he's entrusted you with? How do you treat it? Like it's yours and you can do whatever you want to with it? You can manipulate with it? Manipulate your spouse with it or manipulate pastors with it or manipulate? May it never be. It is not your gift. It's not your gift. Prophets are not loners. They're equippers in the body. If you truly are a prophet, you'll be in full-time ministry or working towards that somehow and in some way and you'll be equipping the body so that they can do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. The gift of prophecy is not resident in anyone, but given as the Holy Spirit wills. None of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are resident in you, but they're given as the Holy Spirit wills. And you might have a, a, a predisposition to a particular gifting. There's a confidence there. There's a boldness there. And it's easier for you to step out in, in, the, in that area but it, it, it's, not your, it's not in you. It's given to you by the Holy Spirit as he wills for the profit of all. People used in prophecy should be submitted. I want to show you this in a couple places in 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 32, it says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to, to the prophets in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. You should be able to lay down anything that God's given you and submit it to the leadership of the church here. You've done your job. You've shared what God's given you, and so just submit it and just walk away. You did your job. Your, your identity is not in that word. Who you are is not about the word. It's about who Jesus is and 
drawing people closer to Jesus and not to you. I find many times where there's a lack of submission, there's a lack of recognition. And people get frustrated who are prophetically gifted because they don't seem to be recognized by the pastor. Well, they're not being recognized by the pastor because the pastor discerns that they're not submitted. And then typically what happens is that they, those prophetically gifted people lose influence and a critical spirit is adopted that borders on Gnosticism. Well, the truth is you're jealous of me because I know something you don't know. I have something that you don't have. And you wish you could be used like me. And, Pastor, you're just an insecure guy. And No, no, no. I'm responsible for the body of which God's placed me over. And you're not submitted. And I am concerned about what might come out of your mouth. I don't have a problem with God using you. I have a problem with a little bit of your flesh being attached to a word and doing great damage. And if you're prophetically gifted and you're humble and you're gracious, you should have no problem laying. I, some of the most prophetically gifted people that I've ever been around are some of the most humble. You wouldn't know them if they walked in the back door of the church. And they are ridiculously gifted. Has spoken over some very, very enormous and influential people. But they're so doggone humble. I mean, it, it, just, it just melts you to be around them. Just amazing, amazing people. Pride is the enemy of prophecy. Pride wants the kingdom. Humility serves the kingdom. Pastor, I'm just here to help any way that I can. Where do you need help? Children are prophesying. In our, in our church, we have, seen, we have seen youth prophesy because they've not been messed up by years of church wranglings and issues and, and misunderstandings. And so how can we step out and be used in prophecy? I just want to encourage you with this, and then I want to walk out and give a, a couple words to some folks that God's put on my heart in here. Acts 1, verse 8. What's significant about Acts 1 is that Jesus, between the time that he rose and the time that he ascended, 40 days transpired. And in those 40 days, he would just kind of appear because he had a glorified body. It was flesh, but it was a flesh like you and I haven't known. He was the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And so we're going to have a glorified body one day. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So, you know, doors and windows, you know, he could just, you know. And, of course, the first words out of his mouth would be peace with you because they'd probably be freaking out, you know. We'd just keep, where, where do you, the door was locked. How in the heck did he get in here? And so Acts 1-8, Jesus is now talking about the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word witnesses is a very, very powerful word, and the disciples knew exactly what Jesus was implying when he used that word, because from, it, from its root, we get, the, we get the word martyr. So whatever... And however God was going to empower them, they knew that it was going to be so powerful that it would be unto the death. Jesus was really saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you guys and you are going to give your life for this. And can you imagine 
You know, how powerful is that? So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there should be a boldness. There should be a, a certainty. Um, so much so that like those that overcame by the blood of the Lamb, they didn't love their lives even unto death. Acts 19, verses 1 through 6, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, And what then were you baptized? They said, In John's baptism, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Three things, and you'll see it in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5, I believe. Yeah, verses 1 through 5. I don't have time to go into it. Three things mark Christian conversion. And they're all compared to the Exodus. Leaving one kingdom and entering another. Leaving Egyptian bondage for the promised land. Baptism in water, which is a picture of walking through the parted Red Sea. And a baptism in the Spirit, which is pictured by the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire. Pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. Remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11? He said, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus is a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say this before I step out here, that... If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I would love to be able to pray for you. Um, we prayed for a few people after the first service who were wonderfully baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know that God always has more. He always has more. And so um, if I were home, I would say, how long are you going to waver and waffle on this? If you want to know, find out, find out. Put up or shut up. Don't question whether it's real. Experience it and find out for yourself. You, can't, you can talk a person out of a view or an opinion, but you can't talk them out of an experience. And so come get it if you want it after we dismiss the service. But I've just got a few words for some people. Yeah, gentlemen back here. with a hat on. What's your name? Alejandro. How's it going? Um, I have that you once sensed God's calling on your life, but you, you've lost hope. And I just want to say this, that God's calling isn't going to happen because of your effort, but it's going to happen because of your obedience. And that it begins with him. Um, the calling doesn't, and it continues with him. Um, so I don't know what's been going on between you and the Lord lately but I, God's just kind of singling you out. And uh, I don't know what your plans are, what you've been up to, what's been going on. I don't know how long you've been coming here. Um, but I just think there was a moment where you thought that maybe God was calling you, and then you kind of lost help. Things didn't you know, happen like you thought they should. Um, from the moment God spoke to me to when I was in full-time ministry, it was nine years. And God spoke to me clear as a bell. And so uh, I'm just encouraging you, man. Don't give up, all right? You bet. Like I said, we're growing 
in the prophetic. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to step out here. Is there a Margaret? Margaret. Hiya, sweetheart. I saw you weeping over children. God will burden your heart for many children to weep over. You're a prayer warrior. You're an intercessor. And because you wept over yours, God is burdening you with his. Don't you stop praying. You are needed. You are necessary. And you are critical. All right. God bless you, Margaret. Thank you, Jesus, that there was a Margaret. Um, Sir, what's your name? Dave. Dave, how's it going? Uh, you have the heart of a father. You're protective. You're patient. And I believe God wants to enlarge your heart. I feel like there was a contentment um, for you just to be mindful of your own. And if you would, and I'm sensing this more and more in this body as, I'm, as I've been hanging around and kind of marinating in you guys. Um, I think that God wants you to be there for more than just those in your house. And if you only would, sir, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to. Um, but I really believe that God would use you that way if you would only. All right. God bless you, Dave. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. A couple back here. It's hard when you're in the back and you're finding these people kind of in the dark. Um, you guys, what are your names? John and Chelsea, how's it going? Um, I saw numbers and I saw ledgers. I saw that you're a calculated man. You're administrative in gifting. And uh, John, just kind of calling you out, I believe there are greater purposes for you than what you're walking in. I believe God's got more, okay? And so whatever the more is, he'll tell you that. I'm just doing my part, okay? God bless you guys. Father, mother, daughter, um, names, Lee, Lee Carey, Lee Carey Carly. I saw pain in your past and it was associated with the church. And I believe the Lord sent me from Ionia to say that this church is going to be a place of healing for you. And I said it in the first service and I feel led to say it again that um, this is a safe house. And I don't know why. That's come out a couple times, Pastor Markle. This is a safe house. It's a safe house. Perfect? No. Safe? Yes. And I believe the mistake that we make sometimes when we're processing through stuff that we've been through is that we're looking for perfect because we only feel safe there. Um, but I'm telling you, this is a safe house. And I would encourage you guys, feel free. Um, heal up and allow God to use you. Okay? God bless. Carry, 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 carry. I've only been around you for a little bit. But what I sensed is that you're a woman who values right and things being in order. That's very, very important to you that things be in order. Um, don't start. Guys, i got to get this out. Don't be losing it on me here. Um, so um, there's stability and there's strength to you. Okay, and there has to be, because you won't make it. 
if there isn't. Um, so um, I really, there's like something kindred about you and my wife. Um, you're no shrinking violet, and I'm calling you to never be. Don't you ever, ever be. I know of pastors that didn't make it because their wives couldn't make it. They weren't strong enough. Um, he desperately needs you. And he relies on your strength and he relies on your stability. And you see right and you see out of order and there's nothing wrong with that. It's needed in this house. This church will grow because of you. And I'm, and I'm encouraging you not to be a silent partner in this. Amen. God bless you guys. Oh, that wasn't easy. Okay. You're 60 years old and older. I want you to stand. I've only done this once before. 60 years old and older. Please stand. I want to speak over you, and I want to address you today. Um, God's calling you to spiritual parentage. In our generation, it wasn't as common, um, but the generations that followed us, many broken homes. Much, much divorce and, and remarriage and single-parent homes. I asked for a show of hands people that were raised in single-parent homes, and I was shocked at the hands that went up. Raised in a single-parent home. God's calling you to spiritual parentage. There's, there's, and I, and I sense this, um, that some of you don't feel that you have a whole lot to give because of what you've been through. And here's what I heard the Lord say. As you reach out and you're used by him to bring healing, he'll heal you. He'll heal you. There's something about the, the mending of fences between generations. There's, there's something about the older generation stepping up. Please step up. Please assume your role in the body of Christ. You are needed. And not everyone like Bill and Celeste are going to be brought up in front of the congregation, laid hands on and, and, and called and commissioned as elders. But you are needed in the body, desperately needed in the body. And so I just want to pray. Can we extend hands towards these? Father in heaven, thank you for these saints. Father, thank you for all that you've called them to. Father, thank you that you are going to use them. Their best days are not behind them. They're yet ahead. You're not calling them to retire. You're calling them to refire. Father, raise them up in these last days. Use them in this house as vessels of honor. Father, use them. May they dispense their wisdom on all who are hungry enough to go after it. Father God, use them, use them, use them. I ask and pray in Jesus' name. And I'm just going to close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you've done today. Thank you for all the encouragement that you spoke over lives today. Father God, thank you. Father, thank you for using me. Father, just, I just pray you'd use anybody that wants to be used. And so, Lord, as these go, Father, I pray that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would smile down upon them, be gracious to them. And Father, may you give them your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.